The game is the game. Join me, your host, Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, as I travel on a journey to meet people from a variety of professions to find out what made them excel in their field. Walk with me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Game is the Game. I am your host, Michel St. Patrick here, and welcome back to another episode. And boy, let me just get off my chest straight away. It's been a while. It's been a while, people. When I first started this podcast, I had grandiose plans of doing one every week and so on and so forth. And maybe one day, maybe one day this podcast will become such a venture, but um for all of you, for all of those who are listening to this and who have listened to previous podcast episodes on the game is the game. I hope you appreciate that the wait is always worth it, and that the these episodes that I bring to you are deep dives into different or varied careers, professions, etc. Looking at the highs, the lows, the pitfalls, the lessons to learn, and so on and so forth. Today on the game is the game. I always say I'm excited, but I actually am excited. Today on The Game is a Game, um, I've got my dad on. I've, I've got my dad on the episode. And this isn't a this isn't a self-indulgent episode. This isn't supposed to be one where you go, oh, look how great my, my dad is, although he is uh, in and of itself. It's because I've been fortunate enough to um, have been raised by both himself and obviously my mother as well. But in the context of my father, I've been... I've been raised by a pastor as well as a father. And when I was thinking about the kind of next episodes to do on the game is the game. And I was thinking about what profession should I look at? I I can't believe I forgot that I could actually go to my dad itself and say, well, hold on, let's look at, let's look at um, the Christian faith and let's look at the role of a pastor. Some say vicar, some say clergyman. And we're going to dive into that and get into all of that. So locking people, Lock in, listen to this episode. It's a special one, like I say. I've called it the one with the pastor, but it's so much more than that. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Great hearing you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> um, and I told the people this one can't be a self-indulgent one. <laughs> so I'll just have to laugh that I'll have to laugh that one off. But you know what? We 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 were talking, we were talking before I press record, and the last thing you said to me before I press record was you said, Can you really call this one the one with the pastor? Um, and you said to me that really the word I should be thinking about using is clergy. So actually, before we dive into all the different things I want to dive into. Just unpick that for me, because I said to you, I don't think many people who aren't, and we're talking within the Christian faith, although you may want to relate things to different faiths at different points. I don't think clergy rolls as easy off the tongue in the in the sense of people's understanding of what that word means uh, and what role a clergy might have. And to be honest with you, at one point, I thought about calling it the one the the one with the vicar. And then I was like, wait, what can I call it vicar? So I just chose pastor because I thought that would be the easiest terminology for people to see as a title and understand what it might be to do with. But let me hand over to you. What, what words should I be using and why? 
like any other profession, you you need to be a bit more precise because words have meaning. And as an academic also, I'm conscious of each time I use a word, it needs to communicate exactly what it is meant to do. And yes, pastor is, is a correct word to use to describe someone who is also a clergy. However, pastor speaks directly to function. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the pastor is someone, male or female, who takes care, quote-unquote, of a flock that is uh, just like a shepherd who is pastoral, mm-hmm. taking care of sheep. So, too, in terms of the synonym within the context of the, of the church, the, the, the clergy offers pastoral care, pastoring mm. over the well-being of people within a community, within the, the church or the ecclesia, the gathered community. So mm. that's the, how the term itself evolved. But being a clergy is much wider a terminology than being a, a, a pastor. Not all, not all pastors, for example, are academic. You know, not all pastors are educators within the traditional classical schooling system. Yet Mm. you will find clergy in just about every profession, according, because the study of theology is, uh, I need to remind you, Mash, that before some of the other disciplines in academia developed in university, the first university was actually that which was who dealt with that dealt with theology. In mm. Most great universities in the West um, started that way. So um, theology is a wide discipline. So you define clergy in the field of education. Um, serving in different disciplines, in counseling as counselors. Mm. Some serve as advisors to politicians in terms of religion and culture because Mm. uh, your people are not just political. They are religious people too in the political sphere and they need guidance. So you you take in, in America, for example, someone like Martin Luther King, civil rights movement, issues around peace and justice and fighting for the well-being of people. At least what attracted me into the into the clergy, that happened from way back during my time in high school. And it was when I listened to Martin Luther King died in, I think it was 1969. That was uh, being a young person at Knox College. Um, And the words of Martin Luther King just struck me inside out, you know. Uh, He was my hero. And I I still remember the careers uh, teacher at my school um, saying, and, and you, Roderick, what do you hope to become when you grow up? And 
I, I still remember I said to him, you know, I, I think I want to be somebody like Martin Luther. Um, I want to be someone who um, focuses on the well-being of people and to, to, to make their lives better, to, 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 for them to experience fullness of life. It was something like that I answered and to see where I am now many years after, after that experience. Yeah. So, yes, a pastor, a clergy, a vicar, they all speak to different functions within the wide um, perspective of ministry. Lovely. And uh, the, the people listening, you just heard my dad say Roderick. And that for the, I just realized as he said that I never even introduced him by his full name. I just said that. So for, the, for, the, for those who are listening who don't realise that he has a name, it is Roderick Hewitt, of course, who is on the podcast um, today. But um, you, you, you did, you did the segue. <laughs> you, you, did, you did the segue for me because, and again, I think, uh, let me set the context for people. Again, uh, who knows who listens to these I always say with these podcast episodes, you could be friends, you could be family, you could be an absolute stranger who listens to this, only somebody who knows me or my father very vaguely, right? And so let me just set people a bit of a context. So um, like I said, kind of at the top of the show, I I always say to people who know me well that I say that I grew up in, uh, in a religious household, I think it would be fair to say. Um, and I always tell people that, as a child, certainly up until at least eight, until I went to university, my experience as a child was going to church on a Sunday and the person in the pulpit nine times out of 10, unless we were visiting another church, was my father. Now, that's all good. That's all cool. That's all well. But it's it's a it's a unique lens by which to look at this particular podcast um, topic, because when I got to think about it, my my dad and I have actually never had this conversation. Or maybe we've had elements of it, but we certainly never had any meaningful, in-depth conversation about his his role as clergy and how he came into it and what it really fundamentally means. Because I think when you live it in the same household as someone, I think you believe that you know it by proxy without actually knowing the full in-depth uh, details of it so with that said and done as my dad has kind of indicated that there and I want to kind of unpick this a bit more I had until you said it just then I didn't know what was your calling so on my notes here my vague notes about how this episode's going to go I've written down how did you get into it and how but not you don't have to answer this for you though you could answer this generally how does anybody get into this um, or get into it. Do you have to hear a calling? Or, <laughs> like other jobs, whatever that means, do you just say one day, I want to do that? Or do you believe, and you may say this is any religious kind of role, that you have to hear a calling or see a sign or whatever it might be? I'm intrigued. Yeah, well... I think that's a very important question that you ask. And if I were to go back to the actual movement into beginning of the training, um, I would have to even go 
go back to my earlier childhood, I would say my mother who fathered me kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, because all, all, I am one of those windrush, um, you know, sons whose dad left the mother and uh, and eight children and went away to UK. And, uh, and it was with her, more like a single parent, um, that I would say my faith formation started. You would you'd see her praying, um, you know, with an empty pot for God to provide, you know, uh, with children to get to return from school and there's no food. Uh, and she would say, come son, we're going to pray for God to send an angel, you know. So we, I learned very early, um, God is not an intellectual <laughs> issue. Uh, mm -hmm. God is real, you know, for, for, for those who exercise faith in him and authenticity with that faith, who you, you must be able not to practice a lifestyle where you'd say a kiss, a kind of keeping of, of, of appearance like Mrs. Bouquet, but, mm. uh, but really being authentic. And, uh, and I saw that kind of faith that I, I learned from my mother who, who, who fathered me. So um, going into high school, boarding at high school, uh, again, it was a church school. Um, so you got some other foundations there. Uh, by the time I was finished with hmm, what you, we would call it then the GCE, you know, mm. and uh, the whole idea is what is it I wanted to be? At first, I all I know is that I needed a job because uh, I was cared for by others. My sisters, they sacrifice to make sure along with my mom that I would go through secondary school. And um, I, once I got to Kingston, I started working at the University of the West Indies. Uh, and because I, at that, for me, it was really, I needed a job and a job that could pay. Um, yeah. But while I was in Kingston, I think that's where the next phase of faith building came, I, I I began to attend the Jamaica Youth for Christ. So it was a it was what you'd call a, a kind of evangelical youth movement, mm -hmm. and uh, and Youth for Christ in Jamaica mixed the spiritual with the activism, you know, of mm -hmm. of, of really meeting up with other young people and just being real and authentic and. And it was out of that kind of experience, um, colleagues who were other young ministers in the church, so, so you talk about the calling. Sometimes the calling is not what necessarily you heard for yourself. You know, it's, mm. it's also what others have heard and, and have seen in you, you know. Um, so uh, 
bad other, other colleagues, um, young ministers, and I still remember attending the youth events and they would then say to me, Roderick, um, you have a calling and you, you, you need to face up to it, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, so so it is also not just what you with your own eyes see, because that sometimes that's a delayed movement. <laughs> that's not the instant. Sometimes the instant comes through the eyes of others, mm. you know, like the Lord hath need of you, kind of thing. And and I would say in that respect, that's what my calling came from. Others heard it, others saw it <laughs> before. I actually recognized it, you know. So, um, so I, I actually spent two years uh, after high school. Um, I needed to, um, to to complete uh, my A levels kind of thing um, because once the 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 youth movement in the church recommended me to for training. Um, at, at, in, in, in those early years of the 70s, um, you needed to, to, to be qualified to do your degree, as it were, mm. uh, at the university. And here in Jamaica, um, theological education at the United Theological College is also the faculty of theology at the University of the West Indies. Mm. So you it's almost like you're in two institutions at the, at the same time being trained as a minister and doing an, a degree in theology at the same time so that's how I got um that, that's how the journey went for me in into into the ministry the the, the, the influence of I would just say godly people in, mm. in, in my life the influence of educators around me. <laughs> yeah, the influence of my parents, my sisters. I would say it's multifaceted. Um, and so after a while, it's not, the journey is not you. I remember when I told my mom, I think this sums it up quite well. When I told my mom, I said, mom, I, I think I am, I'm being called to enter into the ministry of the church. And she, I thought she would be excited and, and you know, and that all that kind of thing. And she said, ah, you have only just discovered that for yourself. I, I gave you to God many years ago. You're only, <laughs> only, you know, you're only now, you're only now just discovering it for yourself. And I always remember that phrase. You are only now just discovering it for yourself. Mm. So that's a paradox. And I use that term intentionally. That when it comes to calling and ministry, paradox. Oh, you know, is you have to associate those words with it. At some point, there there must be a sense of fear. And I, I, I say that in the context of you go through your training and, I don't know, think of it as kind of like you have your your first 
um, sermon or your, 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 your first proper engagement where you're on your own. There's nobody, there's nobody team teaching with you. You, 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 you yeah. don't have a, 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 a kind of elder pastor doing the first part of the service and you doing the second is your congregation now. Now, mm. whether that be in the training process or whether that be the first time you would have led any kind of um, session, so to speak, session, sermon within the church, do was there ever an element of self-doubt and fear that can I do this? And before you answer, I just say that because I'm an experienced teacher now. I think the days of me being fearful in terms in standing in front of any set of adults or kids are long gone but once upon a time there would have been a moment where i would have doubted if i had it within me to show the level of confidence and mastery over my uh, uh, over my skill set does does that same thing happen um or did that same thing happen for you well a couple of things during during our period of training um, that's where we, there is an area what, what they call ministerial formation and for which issues around um, one's preparation, uh, just like the pastor sometimes is no different from an actor, you know, in the theater, yeah. you know, so, and um, so you literally need to just like the person who is on stage in the theater, the pastor too is on stage within the congregation. There are different dynamics around the environment, but the, the kind of preparation, uh, no going without knowing, you need, you need to prepare yourself, you know. There are some, there are some false notion about people that you just quote unquote, depend upon the spirit, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and open your mouth and the Lord is going to fill it with words. And whereas all of that is true, it does not excuse the participant from getting himself or herself adequately prepared mm -hmm. um, for whatever it is that person is being called to do. So, Sure enough, uh, fear and trepidation is always there. Uh, and it's heightened, especially in the early years. Mm. Uh, and even when you have confidence, because it, it doesn't matter. The, you cannot. The Bible is not like any other normal textbook. It doesn't matter how many times you read it. It is still a mystery. Yes. It is still a mystery. It doesn't matter how many sermons you, you preach. Once you are engaged in the world of the spirit with the world of people's context, they, there is always that mystery of uh, the vulnerability of because you're, you're, you're connecting um, sometimes known with the unknown. Sometimes it's a paradox. When you share what you have to share with people and, 
at the end of the day, when they reflect and tell you what is it that spoke to them, you end up laughing because you never would have imagined that it was that mm. that connected with someone. And, and that's what I would dare say throughout my time in, in the ministry. I'm always amazed with all the preparation that I've made and all the delivery um, that happened. Um, what is it that connected with people? And, mm. and, 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 and then you realize that it's not, uh, there's a part of the of, of, of ministry that is not linked with human wisdom, <laughs> you know, uh, and your intellectual capacity. It has to do with how your spirit connects with the human spirit and, and what is it and how you meet them at their point at their point of need. So, so yes, anyone, anyone in ministry who tells you that um, fear and trepidation has gone out of them, they're not delivering the word of the Lord. <laughs> mm. Because, because um, the, the, that is a very nature. You don't own the word. The word owns you, that kind of thing. And, uh, and it is always there to surprise you. And, um, and and that's another thing, too, that drove me why at the beginning I questioned why you have limited it to the, being a pastor. Mm-hmm. Because uh, one of the things that um, someone asked me, so why did you enter the ministry? And mm-hmm. I responded to them. I said, because I wanted to know as much as possible about what it means to be a Christian. Right. And it wasn't I wanted to enter ministry, quote-unquote, just to be a pastor of a church. No. I wanted to know as much as possible about the faith. And that's why, for example, academically, I did not settle for minimum. You know, I, I could have stopped at a diploma. I didn't. I, I could have stopped at a bachelor's. I did not. I, I, I um, even after I had four or five years of, uh, and I must interject here, I gave myself an outlook in life to say that I'm not staying in any one context for longer than uh five to seven years you know mm. I, I I always thought that learning in in ministry one must be open to surprising learning from the other I wasn't satisfied just being in the same place so after four or five years in Jamaica I ended up in Birmingham mm-hmm. after two years in Birmingham I was in I was in London um I, I moved all across the world then in different contexts. I returned to Jamaica. I left again and I went to South Africa and, and lived in different contexts. What I mean is um, you, you have to be open to learning from the other. That is, a, that is at the very hallmark of, of, of radical engagement in ministry always open to learning from the other staying in one place 
And you, not that you don't learn, but you domesticate your learning so much. And, uh, and you miss out on so much. And if your goal is to, is to impact on the lives of others, then you have to cross many frontiers mm. in order to be equipped for that. I want to. I'm going to touch on that globe trotting in a in a few moments or so. But just want to quickly look at a few things. Actually, do you think? And again, I stress, I'm not sure who's listening to this. And it, I I asked my dad this for the benefit of those who may have grown up in the UK or so basically anywhere other than Jamaica. Do you think that Jamaica being a, you may disagree with my framing here though. Do you think Jamaica being a very Christian orientated country helped or made it easier for you to end up on the journey you ended on now again just to give context some people say jamaica some people may not know that jamaica is a very i think there's a stat i don't know if it's still valid that jamaica is more churches per square mile than some i can't remember where in the top 10 we are but jamaica has more churches per square mile than pretty much the large majority of countries in the world so for those of you who have no knowledge of jamaica or who have ever visited jamaica extensively we we are a deeply religious country in spite of all of the other social economic issues we may well have within mm. Jamaica, but um, do yeah, you think yeah. that that plays a played a role in 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 your journey? Uh, let me let me add a little bit more to what you have said. It's not just more churches per square mile; it's also more rum bars to per <laughs> square mile. You know, there is a clash of spirits. Mm. In, in in Jamaica, you know, if you if you find a church, you're going to find a rumba also. Correct. Um, so, a contradiction, contradiction—that's the key word yeah. in the Jamaican spirituality. Yes, Jamaica's over the past century, from let's take it 1900 through to the mil, um, 2000, 100 years. Uh, the, Christianity has maintained um, from a high 70s to um, um, uh, maybe a mid 60s in terms of the percentage of the people who claim allegiance to belonging to um, a, 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 a Christian faith. Um, so, so yes, but. One has to be extremely careful, though, in not making church membership mm, equivalent yeah. with yeah. Um, being a faithful disciple of Jesus. No, not at all. Um, what we're good on is religiosity. Mm. Very good. Um, the Christian religion has just permeated entering the fabric even the devil is a christian in jamaica you know um so religion and culture if you follow what i mean mm. it has found commonality so one will still 
even when you see um, the power of religion in the Jamaican culture, and it it has allowed us to have certain certain values, certain you know safeguards, and even more so during my development in the period of 60s, 70s, and even up to the 80s. But I dare say um, the rise of secularism, the neoliberal economic order, um, money has become the god of many people in, in our context. The rise of tourism dominating the economy, um, all of that has impacted on the religiosity of people. So, and especially since COVID uh, came on board in, in, in 2020, um, although churches are returning back to their normal way of functioning, the, the data is still very clear. A number of especially young people have, have, have decided, wow, that's exactly the break I wanted. Thank, thank God. Now I will focus on my spirituality. I don't need churchianity anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I can find another way of functioning. So there are, there are still lots of challenges within the society, even though uh, on the surface we, we see what appears to be uh, uh, the embeddedness of a a strong religious culture. Um, when you when you see some of the social ills um, happening within the society, you realize that we are we are still in a crisis. Mm. And actually, a, a, a probably a good segue then from that is, and I don't know how. Again, I don't know how you will approach this one, but. I, I, I'm going. I'm going to call it questioning of the faith. So actually, that that kind of that kind of point you just raised about Jamaica and our high crime rates. You mentioned the rum bars earlier on, etc., and kind of like the the kind of uh, hypocrisy and paradox within all of that. What about when someone? And I've always wondered this, <clears throat> and this could go for any religion. In fairness, mm -hmm. but when somebody commits themselves to ministry right mm -hmm. and uh let's just say uh in islam you could be an imam just sort of just going to say something random mm -hmm. cross examples maybe um uh, judaism a rabbi whatever it might be right when you commit yourself to whatever form of religious ministry how do you deal with the questioning of the faith and I get, I'm looking at that from many angles, but obviously in the in your context as a Christian, yeah, people within your own congregation, people who may not even be religious themselves, but have a very strong sense of I must tell you why what you're doing is wrong and why there is no such thing as a god. Or so it's a combination of different things I'm looking at. People who lose their faith people who never had it to begin with, but the commonality being challenging and questioning what you're doing. And be and and I'm sure you could say to me, it's no different to anybody else being questioned in their job, particularly if they're in like a kind of 
quote unquote public sector facing role. But for some reason in my mind, it must challenge a, 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 a minister even more so than others because that's integral to your essential. I'm a teacher, but it's not integral to who I am. If you if you see what I mean, whereas mm-hmm. I would argue you being involved in the ministry is integral to every essence of your life. So when people come at you now with the challenges and let's say I had I never did. But let's say I had as your son at one point in life a turn around and gone, you know what, this don't make no sense. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not on this. I'm not I'm not listening to this. I'm never stepping mm-hmm. foot in a church and so on and so forth. How how do you deal with that? And, I think people would want to know this. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I mean, being a, a minister in the church, I I have been formed out of what is called the reform tradition of the faith. Mm. And that reform tradition carries at the very heart of it openness to question. Yeah. Yeah. Openness to question. It's a faith that is rooted in um, non-conformity. <laughs> mm. And it evolved during the time of the Reformation against the autocracy of conformity. Yeah, so what, we're looking at Martin Luther and so on? Absolutely. And in the yeah. context of the Reform, it's Zwingli Calvin, especially yes. out of those those reformers that had that sent um, the Presbyterian tradition, the congregational tradition, etc. So I have been schooled uh, and, and, and in that kind of tradition. And the other thing too is, um, in my context, we we speak about um, evangelization through education, meaning for every church a school. <laughs> Church of school, you know that that has been part of the tradition. Learning, learning is at the heart of knowing the faith. Mm. And it's funny that um, with that kind of formation of of not as it were, you don't need to defend God for heaven's sake. God is able to defend. God is able to defend God. There are so many Christians and ministers around who think we have been placed on earth to defend God. God doesn't need our defense. Um, you know, that's why in terms of my own formation tradition, I actually love to just read and listen to the Bible being read. No, mm. I on my on my phone app every morning I get up. One of the first things I do is to turn on my phone to uh, I do a kind of discipline reading, going through the different books and listen to the scripture. And I'm amazed some mm. of the perceptions that we have about you know not being able to question Jesus while he was in Gethsemane. He's to just out of the way in terms of our recent celebration. He was very blunt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. And you translate that into the language of, of the day. It's, 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 it's almost like I, 
I, I really had the hope that you would have stepped in and don't allow this power of death to take hold on me. And then he pulled back. Nevertheless, it's not what I want. Let your will be done. You know, that kind of thing. So even the very son of God um, embraced, did not, as it were, push aside questioning. And even with doubt, he drew near to one of his disciples in Doubting Thomas, which is um, one of the key characters of faith. If, if I have to believe you, I want to put my finger in your side. Doubt, questioning, these are hallmarks. The first level of understanding is misunderstanding. You know, if you don't, if you don't realize how much, you, you know, you misunderstand, you really will not get to the level of understanding. So... The, even in the Old Testament, I've been using uh, New Testament quotes. In the Old Testament, come let us reason together, mm. the Lord says. Come let's argue the case. It's not that the, the kind of obedience that God invites people to give is not one that comes out of fear of um, God is going to hit me, you know? God is going to do something very bad to me if I tell God I I don't, I really don't understand what's going on here kind of thing. Oh, we have created impressions of God because we have not read the scriptures to understand that there are diverse cultures with diverse experiences that are described and all of them who have come, who have arrived at a matured faith, have walked through the valley of doubt. And uh, one of the foremost disciples of, of Jesus, Peter, I mean, he cursed. He, he, looked, at, he looked at Jesus when he was being um, tried and said, I've never seen this man in my life. Three mm. times. You know, he denied it. And yet... Um, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to him and said, Hey, Simon, do you still love me? <laughs> you still love me. So I think we are, there are far too many of us. Whether, and it's not just Christians, you know. If you were my Muslim brother mm. uh, or, or son, I would talk about the 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 false defense of God that I hear from many, many Muslims trying to defend Allah as if mm. Allah needs to be defended. You know, mm. God is God. Mm. God is God. God God is bigger than our, our, our um, knowledge and understanding. Academic, our knowledge. Yeah. Um, and, and when we try and think we know everything, that's when we should be convinced how little we know. When <laughs> thing is this, I'm I'm looking at the time. I, I knew this would happen. I said, "This is the people." Before before I press record, I said, "Boy, you know we're gonna try stop this one around forty five minutes." But, but I knew I knew what would happen. Um, 
<laughs> when when going through ministry, and I don't mean the training now, I just mean the journey, yeah, yeah. the journey in general. I'm trying to think because what what are you what 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 are you taught? No, that sounds stupid actually. What is the approach to other faiths and other religions? It's, uh, initially, I was going to phrase it as what are you taught? But then, of course, love all others and blah, et cetera, et cetera, right? But I think more what I must mean then is how do you tie together the, the differences in, yeah, re in religious philosophy, theology? So... Obviously, having—I mean, I've taught RE in school, so as I often say, say, say to the students, there is actually a lot of links between a lot of the major world religions. But that's me teaching it at a very basic level uh, to fifteen-year-olds, sixteen-year-olds, whatever it might be, who are doing GCSE RE. From a ministerial or ministry perspective, how do you? tie together the different faiths and not allow others to sow discord and conflict where it may even be easier to sow discord and conflict than look for commonality and shared purpose all right let me give you a, a, a brief tour because mm. having left jamaica in 1884 schooled in a dominant Christocentric environment. Mm. Uh, in Christ alone, everything. And I took, at that time, two, my wife and two kids, and went to a multi-religious context of Birmingham. Mm right there in Aston, near to Aston Villa football. Yes, I remember. Near to the mosque, one of the biggest mosques in the central region. And with not just diverse peoples from the Caribbean, but from the Asian continent, from diverse languages mm. all around. And that was like being thrown into <laughs> being thrown into a pool to swim, you know. Mm -hmm. And I I came to understand the importance of of diversity of faith through an experience while I was at South Aston Church. The Iman came to my colleague. Peter Lovett and myself. I remember that. I remember yeah. Peter. <laughs> yeah. And he said, my, my, my daughter, she's very, very sick. Very, mm. very, very sick. He said, the, the, um, the good, the, the, the prophet, uh, you know, blessed be his name. He said, those who follow, the those who follow the the prophet Jesus, God honors their prayers. 
Mm -hmm. So I want you to come and pray for my daughter. She's very, very ill. Mm. And you can imagine all kinds of questions would come up. For example, back to you and your doubt. What if after you through praying the girl dies? What are mm. they going to say? The minister who is up at that church, his prayers are not are not worth it, you know? He mm. doesn't have any power, etc. etc. Yeah. And um yeah, the prayers had to be done. They from another faith says, come and pray over my daughter. Mm -hmm. And the prayers were done. And I remember Peter saying, you know, I, I hadn't seen him for quite some time because I was so fearful that I would hear bad news. Um, but eventually he saw him and he said, ah, so my brother, how is, how is the beloved daughter? He says, thanks be to Allah. Allah be praised. He, you see, Allah is, he got a big, Allah is great. He said, those who follow the prophet Jesus, he honors their prayers. The girl is fine. Mm. That for me was my, my orientation mm. into, into multi-faith dialogue. Yeah. I would then invite young people from the mosque to come and engage with my young people and it was a good way of helping those young people who they would have their bibles and they would throw the bible down on the ground whereas those young people from the mosque oh the quran <laughs> yeah. that was too holy to be thrown all over the place no mm. it taught them a lesson interfaith yeah. dialogue yeah come on it it's false rumor it's those who are scared of interfaith dialogue are those who have not spent time knowing their faith, mm. their own faith. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're therefore they're insecure. They're insecure. Mm. And then and out of insecurity, you then go for conspiracy. Mm. And I I, I I I want to say that out of insecurity, you opt for conspiracy. Yeah. But if you go for authentic relational building with peoples of other faith, and I'm not just talking about um, people who are Muslim, I'm talking about Buddhists, I'm talking about, I lived in Africa for nearly a decade, uh, people of different um, so faith did, yeah. orientations. Yeah. If you dare... Um, seek to practice just relationship with people of other faiths. You don't even need to talk about Jesus. They see Jesus in you. Mm. They see Jesus in you. They, they respect you. They respect your traditions. They respect your... They, nobody wants to destroy um, that, that... Like I see people talk about... I believe strongly that Jesus is, as I would put it, he is the final <laughs> revelation of the fullness of God. That's one mm. how I see Jesus. But yeah. I believe that God has appeared to others. Yes. Every other culture can tell you from 
from the, the those in the most um, what you would call it unenlightened communities who have not seen modernity and and uh, other kinds of technological development they 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 can tell you about the experience of god through the world of the spirits etc etc so the issue then is um to engage in in religious appreciation of other faiths you you need to just humble yourself really um and to learn to sit where they sit to walk where they walk i remember some years ago i was in taiwan and went into one of those temples with the um with all the different um, statues and again in reformed tradition we we have a great dislike for statues you know the church must be there and we don't like because we see them as idols and yet i i went and i saw a woman lighting a candle before the buddha you know mm. and and tears flowing down her her face who am i who am i to say that she has not um communicated with 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 that which is responding to her need who am mm. i to say that no i refuse i'll say i don't understand but i don't utter the word of judgment yeah my duty is to is to enter into dialogue into discussion uh in such a way not to say you are wrong and i am right but rather come let us reason together let's share mm. let's seek understanding who knows sometimes it's the other that strengthens your faith rather than you seek it to strengthen. yeah 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 so i'm gonna try and bring this one slowly to a close and you mentioned in thailand and um other other places i think i want to just quickly delve into that now obviously you mentioned earlier on jamaica to birmingham to london to jamaica to south africa and again people who who know me who won't necessarily know you should know that obviously the family moved or well, say the family you and mum moved to south africa um and lived there for 10 years which meant that the rest of the family uh spent that 10 year period going to South Africa rather than going to Jamaica uh, to, to, go and, to go and make sure we were visiting and so on and so forth. And I use South Africa as an example. Um, you were in, a, I always say it wrong, but Natal, let's just say Natal, but I always get the form yeah. name, I always get the name yeah. wrong. KwaZulu Natal. KwaZulu Natal, thank you, KwaZulu Natal. And um, I use that as a segue to make a wider point, right? So obviously you were uh, in ministry, was it Scottsville? Scottsville? Scottsville, yes. Yeah, Scottsville, uh -huh. Peter Maritzburg. Um, and um, for those who've not been to South Africa or even that region of South Africa, KwaZulu-Natal, you have yeah. the different, and maybe I've got this wrong, so I'm, I want you to explain, but within that, region of south africa and other regions of south africa obviously but you've got different 
you've got like a, you've got the you've got the different dialects for, for one right and yeah. i use that as an example to then make a wider point about christianity comes in so many different forms forms the how do you how do you so like when we went to the church in south africa don't get me church is church to me but there yeah. certainly was there were subtleties to it there were different subtleties to it compared to our experience going to hope in in kingston if yeah. if you see what i mean so i guess i call this the the different ways and means to christianity and you can talk about the reformed tradition but in your experience even with the reformed tradition going globally there's no one story or there's no one no, there's no one approach so how do you interweave yeah. those different um the, all these approaches that you've seen whether i mean I, I, i'm remembering when you went to um to to to, to, to palestine how do yeah. you interweave all these different experiences? Do you just do you just take from each experience that you've had across the globe, and that informs your personal um, journey? Like, uh, help people understand that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be open to seeing God at work in in diverse contexts. That's the core. And in, 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 in that congregation in South Africa, we had not people from about hmm, 20 different nationalities. Mm. You know, worship is multilingual. You learn, you sing other people's song. Now, I may not fully understand. Uh, people are praying in their own languages. Um, and I don't understand one word, but at the end of it, I rejoice with amen with mm. whatever it is that they have been saying. Because there, there comes a time when even with language, even when you do not understand the language, you see the language in the face of the person. You see, mm. you hear the person uh, through the tones. You hear, uh, in other words, you, you connect even when you you do not speak the language so and once you're there after a time it doesn't matter whether the person is from ethiopia eritrea liberia zambia nigeria um ghana south africa lesotho to all these different language plus those from the west and the east that's in that diverse world, you 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 see that uh, many languages, one God, you know, mm. you know, many people, many ethnicities, one God, mm. you know, and I, and that's why I I really think um, diversity is a blessing, mm. not uh, monochrome uh, domesticates. Diversity expands and makes you more fully human, much more human. And um, and I, I, in that time, I spent as a as a professor at the University of KwaZulu Natal. Um, you have to engage 
in teaching Christian theology alongside the, 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 those who are professors, but their specialities in Hinduism or in Islam. And all of you are scholars and you have to learn to respect that truth comes in, in contention, you know? Um, I, I, if I were to be very blunt with you, Mash, I would say, okay, um, I'm a Christian and I thank God for that. But if I were, if I were born in, in Saudi Arabia, most likely I would be a, a Muslim. Mm. <laughs> you know, so 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 sometimes the the faith that you embrace that you think is your own, it's it's because of the context in which mm. you you have been you have been shaped. You know, yeah. and and so who are you then to look on to someone who who has never been to your context, and that's the world that has given them the faith. And, and do you think, God, if we say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and if we say, for God so loved the world, for God's sake, then be, um, take it to be for what you have said, for God so loved the whole oikumene, the whole created order. That means those places too who do not, uh, speak the language you do, who do not eat the food you do, who do not speak the way you do, who do not worship the way you do, and yet God loves them 100% the same way he loves your context where you come from. So we have to get rid of these blinkers mm. and all these um, malformed bias and prejudices that have been shaped by what I would call imperial faith. Yes. Faith from the context of power and privilege rather than faith from the context of solidarity with people at the margins. People mm -hmm. who live at the margins learn how to appreciate others and what they come with in spite of their diversities because they first see the divinity in the humanity of the other rather yeah. than the other way around. In the last, I'm trying to think in my own head, in the last, how long do you want to say? 15 years? 15 years? Might be more. I, and you may, I think you might phrase this differently. You've, maybe even 20, but in the last 15, 20 years, have many, I would say that you've, transitioned like you're not you're not ministering in churches a lot anymore okay um but and you're more involved in obviously you've been a professor of theology you've written your own books and so on and so forth um you you, you briefly just mentioned lecturing obviously in south africa but even before that, you would have been doing that anyway, before you moved to South Africa. Um, you're now president um, of the International University of the Caribbean. Yeah, International uh, yeah. University. Yeah. yeah. So 
the reason why I mention all that is in the same way how I started by saying how do you take the step into it? How did you take the step? I don't say out of it because I don't think you've ever left mm. per se. But how do you what is the what was the point at which you said to yourself and I'm mindful of how I express this. So correct me if I if I say it the wrong way. What is the point at which you said to yourself, I need to do more, whatever more means in that context? Um, and why would you have said it to yourself? Why not stay within the context of church ministry, clergy alone? Right. And yeah, I think that's a valid uh question and yet i have to qualify that because mm. to adapt to to in terms of congregation and and academia again when you embrace the reform faith like mm. i said to you you very early very early in my formation i still remember one of our my mentor uh, called clement thomas he says roderick develop your ministry with one foot in the congregation mm. and ah. one foot in the academia yeah he says you must be able to preach what you teach and teach what you preach ah. very early mm. so <clears throat> that has influenced me quite heavily that even when in my young years of having lots of hair on my head in those early days at a place called Discover Bay, I was teaching Caribbean history mm. at, at, uh, at a school called Brownstown, where I have a York Castle secondary school. So Caribbean history was my, my in terms of my degree in, in theology, I also took up um, history as a as a key area of my my academic formation, specializing in Caribbean history. So I always had both um, church and academia because of a deep desire that faith must be informed; it must not be ignorant based upon lack of knowledge you must contend and search and find that's that's what for me was so important um and even when i went to birmingham i was still doing with things linked with uh Selyuk colleges and there was queen queen um queen's college at uh is it at birmingham university there so i it has always been there mm. so i think what you're pointing about what allowed me now to go more like full-time into it and it was a desire once i reached a particular point i wanted to i i, I just believe an important thing in black knowledge is that you must spend more time writing. I think it, mm. it is very important in our culture. Um, one of the things 
white imperial power has done is that they have um, dominated sources. You know, they, they end up writing a lot and then they coalesce the rest of the world to, to quote from them. And, uh, and, and I, I am one who strongly believes that in black civilization, at, in its earliest form, our ancestors were just great productors of knowledge. They wrote a lot. Yeah. And and in, in this age, it's one of my it's one of my push, especially to students. Uh, you're not complete until you begin to write, begin to research and write. So that's what struck me that at this stage in my life, I must dedicate myself to the production of knowledge so that I become a part of the source system of quote. If you, if you, in terms of knowledge production, and, mm. uh, and a, a, a white colleague of mine, good good friend, uh, Steve DeGrucci, who sadly passed on some years ago, and I really missed him because he's one of the, I call him my white South African with a black heart, you know, because he is, uh, he was so, uh, his theology was so liberative, mm. and. Uh, and he critiqued me and he said, the problem with you, Roderick, he says, you're so Afrocentric, but you have never spent any time on the African continent learning from the sources. You're, you, you, you quote from them, but you have never spent time being baptized into the context of the Africa. And I mm. said, you know, that's, that's, that I will not let you critique me uh, along that line for much longer. And, yeah. uh, and uh, it was along those lines I went and joined the the staff at the the um, the University of KwaZulu Natal, and mm. you see, I have been also through the Council for World Mission. That I once I was in London, I I became a, a, an education secretary, working with with that organization, and that's what took me all of, all across the world. Um, and uh, which was a, a diverse opportunity of learning from other cultures. So I wasn't afraid to go and live in the context of the others because I was already formed along those lines. Mm. So listen, I mean, we've, we've, we've gone everywhere. We've gone up, down, <laughs> left, right, overseas, back again, so, so on and so forth. As as with all guests that, that come on the game is the game. I always try and um, bring the episodes to an end by, by almost asking the guest what kind of lessons have been learned. And the, the it's, I mean, it sounds cliched to kind of end that way. But again, thinking about those people who have listened to this, the, the, the whole point of doing this podcast was always about getting stories in different careers and professions and helping people to understand that there is no, and you're, you're now the ninth guest to show there's no linear, there's no linear story here. It's not, then I did this and then I did this and then I did this. People's journeys go off on tangents and different lines. And then you come back this way, go back this way and so on and so forth. I mean, before you moved to South Africa, if you had spoken to me, 
if anyone had spoken to me 10 years before you moved to South Africa, I wouldn't have said you would have gone to South Africa. So people's journeys, people's journeys don't go in a, in a set plan. Absolutely. Um, so, so, so to speak, um, or in a, in a set linear line, a linear line, so to speak. Um, so reflecting on everything that you've kind of spoken about and things that you may not even had a chance chance to mention, what are some of the key lessons that, that, that you've learned and that you would offer to those listening in terms of things to think about, I guess, how your story might apply to their own individual journey? And that can be people who are, in, who are interested in ministry, but it's more so a life. It's more a life thing. It's a life thing more than a do you want to be involved in ministry? People, maybe they may not be, but what are some of the key lessons you've learned? Well, we would need another podcast for that, but because uh, I've learned so many, so many lessons, you know, uh, maybe just a few then I will, I will lift up as a signpost. Um, never, never forget the rock out of which you were hewn. Let me translate. Don't forget where where you have come from. Marcus Garvey would say, no going without knowing. Learn mm. to uh, appreciate the your, 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 how you have been formed by your families. The, 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 the good and the bad. They are all gems. They are all lessons. And they... They, they serve as good signposts for you along the way. So that's what would be my first lesson. Don't ever turn your back and disrespect where you have come from. That is a powerful resource of identity formation. Very critical. If you, if you as we would say in, in the Jamaican context, if you disrespect where you're coming from, then your future is very doubtful. Secondly, never be afraid to cross frontiers. Mm. <laughs> you must be willing and open to crossing frontiers and to learn from the other in unexpected places. I have seen so many of our people in all different places across the world. Um, well, I must say the gift of Jamaica being an islander. An islander is one that allows us to see beyond. <laughs> and we, we always look beyond. And uh, I think that is a very important aspect of the learning curve a third area uh, never never limit your learning uh in terms of building up your academic uh skills um, that's very important take your education seriously take your education seriously i want to say that to to just about everyone and you're never too old as it were uh it's lifelong learning um and have a have something with you when now we are with our laptop our 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 phone our tab whatever it is make your notes 
you are unique. You, you, you are a fountain of indigenous knowledge. Uh, write down, write down, even when it doesn't make sense, have it there because you're going to find that it is very precious. So take your education seriously and go for continuous learning because that, that will help. Um, never be afraid of other people's language, you know? <laughs> Uh, it's like it's 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 like a pool in which you 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 get new learning from, and um, so uh, sometimes the one of the negative things with English is that it, it it gives us the impression that everybody else must speak the language um, in order for there to be authentic learning. Not so. Most of the peoples in the world speak other languages and. As someone told me in, in in South Africa when I got there, he says, "Roderick, you you you're black and you you look like us Africans, but you're not an African." And I said, well, "How do you how do you pick that up?" I mean, I I don't see much of a difference between myself and the rest of you. He says, "You know, to be an authentic African, you need to speak five languages. Five, five. You need to speak your mother's language, your neighbor's language, your regional language, the national language, and then an international language. That's it. Mm. That's it. So um, the the openness to enter into the discourse of peoples with other with other language and and the and the technology is there now to to help us along that way. So. Um, and I must say, never be ashamed of your faith. Let me put it that way. The, the scripture put it, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. I am where I am because of that gift of the Christian faith, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and the gift of the church, the gift of other peoples uh, in the faith who have surrounded me with their love. So you must learn also to, to realize you are not your own. You are who you are because of how others have surrounded you with their prayers, with their love. Never be ashamed of your faith. Um, never lose confidence in the scriptures. Read it, study it, and let it inform the quality and the formation of your life. That's how, um, you know, that's how I shape my life. And that's how I would also love to others to do. And don't forget your family, for God's sake. Um, never, never. Family is important. They are one of the most powerful resources given to you by God along life's journey um, through good times and bad times. Indeed, indeed. People... Uh, I, I asked my dad for some gems and he's given you about six or seven to tuck into uh, right right there at the end. Listen, this this one's been a movie um, as as ever. Um, whenever I tell my dad, right, let's try and record something. And I, I know it's always going to be it's always going to be a long one, but one that gives you so much um, information and knowledge to, to kind of chew over this is going to be one of those podcast ones that you have to kind of pause and then pick up again and then go back to the start to listen to try and pick up on that thing that you missed the first time around and so on and so forth but wherever you are in the world wherever you're listening to this um 
do leave a review um, and a rating if you're listening to it on a podcast app that allows you to do so. And thank you as ever for listening to The Game is the Game. Dad, thank you so much for coming on. Always. Uh, bless you and take good care. Indeed, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been Roderick Hewitt, a.k.a. my father, and this has been The One with the Pastor. Thank you for listening to The Game is the Game with Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt. If you enjoyed that episode and you'd like to find out more about the work I do, you can head to linktr.ee forward slash mashstpaddy. If you'd like to find me on Twitter, you can find me at mashstpaddy. And if you'd just like to email me about anything you're interested in or that episode made you think about or anything in particular, you can email me at mstpatrick at gmail.com. 